0: What I mean by the call is the ability of a traditional singer or a traditional music to open a window in your heart, a window which will allow you to breathe in, to suck in, to draw in the essence of the music that person is playing so that it can change the chemistry of your mind, so that it can lift you, so that it can bring the pure, spiritual, beautiful side of your head away from all the torment of the normal day's life. It can bring that right up to the fore and let you wallow and swim in that pleasure. That is what I know as the call. Once you get a belt between the eyes, Of something beautiful. For a moment. You are smitten forever. Tommy Potts. Joe Cooley. Seamus Ennis. All you need is a moment. And that is the way. This life is. If you look at it. All we need is a moment. Of truth. To look through that window. Into the essence of things. Into the eternal. Into the world of the spirit. There was always music in my house in the Turnpike Road in Ennis. Um, late 40s, early 50s. Musicians such as Joe Cooley and such as Paddy O'Brien from Nina and such as Felix Storn, Paddy Canney, Peter Lachlan from Kilmele, Willie Clancy from Milltown Malbay, Martin Talty, people like that would come to the house unannounced and they would sit down, they would have tea and they would play and it was a wonderful experience at the time because the early 50s was a time of trauma for Irish people and especially for young people because uh, the Taliban were in power. The Catholic Church really uh, sat on everybody of all ages at that time, whether it was the local curate or whether it was the annual visit of the redemptorist order, who went about frightening the living life out of everybody, young and old. So the music of a man like Joe Cooley literally hit one like an intravenous drug, and it lifted one out of that awful, damp sense of fear and guilt that the church induced in people at the time. And it wasn't only the church, but the school as well. I remember nothing but fear in my school, primary school and secondary school. There was a lot of corporal punishment. And at the time I was interested in music, but there was a certain guilt about being a musician. There was a sense of shame about it because although there were wonderful people in Ennis from the surrounding uh, the surrounding townlands like my own people from Kilmalee from Connolly and Kilfenora and Ennis Diamond and all those wonderful places like Cresheen with their own lovely accents there was an aspect to Ennis which I found Uh, hostile. Uh, The business class in Ennis seemed to me to have no time for anything Irish, and during my youth playing learning tunes and that, I always felt an outsider, maybe it was partly my own fault, But that resulted in a fear of playing in public, which stayed with me until two years ago. I'm 66 now. I had a fear of going on stage until, as I say, two years ago. It was an irrational fear, a fear something would happen. And I think it goes back to That awful time I had in school, no money for school fees. I remember studying for my leaving cert, having to go out and borrow a book and stand up by the side of the road, um, reading and absorbing as much as I could before I gave the book back. And I remember the principal of the brother school, Brother Kennedy, coming up to me and putting his hand out right in front of my face and saying, This was the two pounds, five shillings I think it was, for the quarterly quarterly fee at the Christian Brothers Schools in Ennis. And I remember saying, Neil. And I remember the shame of it. The shame of not having the money. towards that shop Paddy Arthur's where I bought that accordion to see if there. Mm. Joe Cooley used to play down there too. Hey, is this Mill Street? Uh, Mill Road, straight down what, there. What street is this? Uh, this is uh, Pennell Street. Pennell Street, Here is where the great Joe Cooley was first of all found in Ennis, by people were mad about traditional music. There where that Ennis electrical shop is was Coffey's Feather Merchants and Cooley had a bedroom overhead that and in summer evenings he would play in his room and the music would come right across the road to Mick pub where my father and two brothers worked renovating that building. My father was a building contractor. So after hearing that music for two or three evenings, they brought him to my house in the Turnpike, and he became a regular visitor, and he lifted our hearts every time he came, and indeed lifted the hearts of everybody else who met him. That was 1949, 1950, before he emigrated to America. But he was a force, an explosive musical force, in our life at the time. That when a musician like that came around, it literally punched its way into the center of your being. And you were never the same again as a person. If you like, it was a view through a window into heaven. At a time when we were being taught that purity was something in your soul which you had to preserve and you had to tell your sins in confession and you had to be a thumper, and on summer evenings, when others were out playing, you were expected to be in the church at Benediction, and being a good, holy little boy. Do you know them, sir? I
1: don't. you Are going to go two and two? First part twice, second part
2: twice. And then change, okay. You know, you're going...
0: Oh. Can you remember the tune Sirk and I played before?
1: I say she's forgotten it. Um,
0: Just I was telling Peter about the tune circle and I played.
1: I said she's not forgotten. Can you remember the tune? Anthony? I can't. It, it was a jig and it was um, kind of. <laughs> of
2: <laughs>
0: no, I don't
1: that. The tune, something like that. You
0: you think something else.
2: Good, good,
0: good,
2: good.
0: Just one tune then.
1: Actually, I I need to be sure that I I do know it. I mean, I've learned it so much. I'll follow you. dead 21 years and I suppose up to the time, shortly before he died he played music but a lot went with him a lot went with, with the people of his of his kind There's there is no way that you can say that the music is the same today or the people are the same, people don't even think like that today, there's no it's all so fast and furious now there's no comparison I don't think we'll ever hear it again
0: no, we won't. Uh, the passage of time, uh, that's one thing that has distressed me for a long time. I have known some wonderful musicians such as Bill O'Malley and Joe mm-hmm. Ban. And um, with everyone that has passed, you've had a vacuum, and that vacuum has never been filled
1: I think we can't expect people to replace the Bill Malleys and the Joe bands of this world uh, because they played their music to a different life. Life was a, much, it was a much slower pace. They took the time to play music. They gave the time to their music. For us today, we're fitting it in. We're fitting it into our timetable in the day. We have to make the time to play a tune. They didn't. They, they played music and they worked their life around it. And I think it was very evident in their music. You could hear the relaxation of their music. They had a lovely rhythm.
0: I often felt uh, their music was an interior music. It was a bit like meditation, where you have a conversation with yourself, as distinct from the modern traditional musician Mm. who goes on stage uh, to sell CDs and to make an impression and to be popular and for everybody to love him or her. Yeah. It's a totally different world and it's also a faster world.
1: I suppose the one thing when you listen to, if you listen back to Bill's music and to Joe's music, you feel like dancing to it. Yeah. Would you agree with that? That's why you were coming uh, yeah. in the new lane. I did in the new lane, they came in the new lane, they
2: came in the new
1: lane, they came in the new
3: lane, they came in the new lane. No, came in together, right? I yeah, okay, then i the and you know,
0: Turnpike Road, Ennis, number two, just near the corner from where the Limerick Road takes us into Ennis. We're outside what used to be my house. It is now a business. The entire Turnpike has changed from a very pretty road of single-story cottages, many of them thatched, most of them having half-doors, their owners wearing shawls, are working clothes and caps. I remember people like Mrs Brodie, a low-sized woman in her sixties, I suppose, that time. She wore a black shawl, small, darkish, angular face. I thought I'd never seen anything so beautiful and at the same time so mysterious and slightly frightening. There was a triangular quality where the shawl came to the head and it spread out, especially the traveler women and men who came to our house in the turnpike. Martin Faulkner and his wife Noni Faulkner. Noni wore a shawl, as I say, she used to come into our kitchen, she'd put one foot on the step of the stairs, and she would take my mother's concertina and she'd play a few tunes for my mother in the middle of the day. She'd sit down then and she'd have a cup of tea. You had the two Duns, Michael and Christy Dunn, banjo and fiddle. I remember them playing the broken pledge. And I remember Christy, the tall one, he had a piece of coat hanger around the neck of the banjo from which hung a dirty grey bag. And there would be a lot of coins in the bag. And I remember standing enthralled listening to them playing the Broken Pledge. It was the most beautiful first live sound of traditional music I had heard. I remember coming out of my front door to school of a fair day morning. The street was full of horses, blockers, travellers, farmers. The smell of urine and the streets covered in horse dung. And I remember the animals, the heat rising from them, their nostrils the farmers, the wonderful accents—people from Cresheen, from Kilmealy, from Kilfenora, from all over Clare—I remember picking my way through the dung uh, on my way to school and being excited. And of course, those were the people who understood traditional music. Those were the people from—those from, were the people for whom Johnny Doran, the great piper, played. And I only remember seeing him once in Ennis and he had a small little wooden stand for his left leg. He stood up on the side of the street, and he played the pipes, and it was like a call. It was a call from another world. I think it was... um, There were two of them, and the second was called Johnny's Wedding. And I think the third selection was a tune by Tommy Potts, which he called A Dissertation on the Drunken Sailor. Was that just Tommy Potts' version of the Drunken Sailor? Yes, yes. Did you meet him around that time as well? Well, I had met Tommy Potts in Ennis um, around about 1950 uh, through the good offices of Sean Reid. He brought Tommy Potts to my house one winter's evening, but he was the most impressive-looking man I had ever met. He was tall, he had black hair, and he had black, burning eyes and long fingers. And when he played the fiddle, you were transported. I had never, ever heard a fiddle played like that. It was full, it was full of passion and full of the energy of transportation. The notes he made on the fiddle for a start were totally pure. The tone he generated out of the fiddle literally cut into your spirit like an acetylene torch. It wasn't twee and soft and beautiful and tender. It cut into your spirit and it lifted you. Now. On top of that, he was a superb player. His phrasing and the way he handled the tune was wonderful. And once you heard Tommy, it went into your spirit and you never never got away from it. He was always in your mind. Now, remember, Potts was a man who didn't go out and play in public. And even in the 60s, when traditional music was being if you like, uh, made popular, or what they call traditional music, Uh, Tommy was still a recluse. He stayed at home, he painted in watercolours, and he would play only for those who came to his house, or he would occasionally come to the Four Seasons Bar um, when John Kelly was holding court at the time, uh, in the 70s and 80s, and... um, Being in Tommy Potts' company was always a revelation. And when he played, he actually moulded his body around the fiddle. The head, the black hair, the black burning eyes, olive skin, bent over the fiddle, and the fingers were incredibly long. And to see his hands working, there was... There was an incredible visual logic. I used to lock my eyes from his fingers and his thumb and where the neck of the fiddle sat between his thumb and his forefinger, he would rotate for certain movements in the fiddle. He would rotate uh, around the neck of the fiddle and you could see the dust of the rosin up along the bow. And I often felt that I could imagine specks of rosin flying off the bow. And landing in the fiddle. And you know, I would imagine notes flying off the strings and flying into my psyche and into my spirit. But we were talking about rhythm earlier, and would you come over here? Would you bring your chair over here, right? There? Just come over here near Mary and myself. Bring your chair right here. a bit closer. Do you remember Tommy Potts coming to our house?
3: I barely, I barely remember this man coming in. And um, my father told, told, it was us a friend of mine, which is, and he put the two of us out. We were talking.
0: <laughs>
3: and uh, that's all I remember of that man.
0: Do you remember how I started playing?
3: I'm not sure when right I think it was no piano card in a piano accordion. Was it Joe? Yeah. It was a Joe lifted in? Joe Cooley, Joe is. Cooley lifted in, yeah. But after that, I, I don't remember much after that.
0: Do you remember my mother took the instrument away after a while? Sean Reed loaded me an, an accordion, and after a week or so, it was a bit. Noisy, and uh, she took it away and yeah. sent it back. Do you remember that?
3: I don't, Anthony I don't, I don't. But the, 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 my father, he, he was very, he was very um. um he had great voice, and he was a lovely singer. He used to sing all the old songs, you know, the dear Irish boy, and all those. And I used to sing with him, and he'd, he'd says, If you haven't the nail, you have nothing. He'd stop me. You know, and uh, it was great. And there were lovely set dancers, the two of them. Were they? They were, all. Oh, they were that, 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 that square do them. You my know. father and mother. And my father and mother.
0: I didn't know that.
3: Yes, all oh, they were beautiful set dancers. I didn't know yeah, that. Oh, yeah. And they'd kill you if you went. Best, you know, lovely slow music.
0: Where did you see them dance?
3: should used to dance out at Minnie's every Sunday. They'd, be, they'd have the gramophone on after the dinner out at Minnie's.
0: My aunts? Yeah,
3: and the neighbours would come and, and. Do you remember the big flag in front of Minnie's open heart? I do. There was one flag that it was just a room that had a sit there and they wouldn't pass that. And the dance, gorgeous music, dead slow, beautiful. We were always set dancers. There were great times. I learned a lot from my
0: parents. Do you remember mm. the problems I had at school, after being beaten up by brothers and that?
3: I do. I remember you coming home one day and you asked for. Uh, one and sixpence or something to, you had a map of corals There were seven eight in total and they, they went along they got their hair chopped off because their brother used to catch them but they'd you out in the seat yeah were, the nuns were the same they killed it I seemed to be able to handle the knife and fork when I come home to my dinner my hands used to be slepping me. My God. Yes, they killed us. They did the worst I don't know where they're now. I often think about them. Do
0: you remember the time you were propositioned by a priest to become his housekeeper?
3: I do. Ah he's dead. He's dead long. I suppose he thought that uh, being a priest that he just, he just stayed, it took a fancy, but he gave me a hard time for two years, like, you know, he came back from England several times, I come back every three and four weeks, but it took me two years to get rid of him. Like you know.
0: And what was his plan? Was he a young man?
3: He was a beautiful young man, a very good-looking man. He was a gorgeous-looking fellow, quite a young fellow. But he went back to England anyway after he stopped coming after that. And um, he died young enough, too. I think he died of cancer or something.
0: But what did he want, Etta?
3: Well, he just wanted me, like, you know. He wanted wanted me, he wanted me really, and his idea was that he'd bring me back to England, you know, as his housekeeper like, you know, and that would cover everything really, you know, i got that on too, like, you know, but I didn't have any of it, I said it, I will never have so, that finished it but it took two years when everything failed, he said that if he couldn't have me nobody would and I said okay sure, that's the way you feel about it and th- that was the last I saw I think. that was after two years so but that's the way it was That's when I think they are frightened little girls like you know and they were afraid of them if they didn't do it they were told that you know but I was strong enough and I had no guidance I had no one to talk to you know. I had nobody to turn to but I fought with myself That Mm -hmm. I'm very proud of. But it's no harm that time has gone and and I'm glad it's gone and the children today, you know, at least they can talk and they can. We were afraid, we were afraid of our parents too. They were such afraid of the priests, I suppose, the the clergy and the religion. That was life, that time, but it's all gone now.
0: Are you glad?
3: Oh, I am. Oh, God, I am. Oh, God, I am. I am. Life was tough. It was tough. You, you, if you met, which you met them very often, and then it was packed with priests and the bishops, and you just got off the path. You stepped off the path. You did. You didn't. You just didn't pass them and say how oh, you. But you stepped just, just off the. Petty,
0: off. I had an experience which has stayed with me since. A brother was teaching us science, and at some point, during the lesson, he said, "Come out here, Sonny." he was looking towards me and i was quiet and nervous and shy and interested in music i didn't know what he meant and one of the boys kind of nudged me and said he means you and he said take off your glasses sonny i took off my glasses and he said Put your glasses on the table there, Sonny. I did it. Stand up straight, Sonny. He drew out and he hit me with his open palm full force across one side, not of my face, but of my head. And I remember the pain went right right into the centre of my head, through my ear, it was explosive. I was told afterwards I remember rocking motions separated by several seconds I was told later that he hit me a total of six times three with each hand on each side of the head. Each was an explosion, only the first hurt, but it was a hurt like I had never experienced before, and he then said to me, sit down Sonny, I had to be helped back to my seat, and I remember I sat down, and something happened to me. I felt a coldness of hatred, a calm coldness, as if my entire being had slowed down to nothing. It was as if I was looking at myself in from outside. It was ice cold, it was cutting, and it was pure hatred. Now, I was. Thirteen. My father had died only a short time before that. I had never experienced anything like that. But immediately the solution came to me. I decided I was going to shoot him stone dead that evening because I knew he went for an evening walk past my house in the turnpike. But I went home and I had a bit to eat. I went upstairs and I loaded my father's BSA double-barrel shotgun. And I remember he always had a bottle of three-in-one oil and a pull-through and a piece of cotton. And I oiled both barrels so that when I fired, there would be a secondary explosion. I had a bit of an interest in science. And I literally wanted to burn him to death as I shot him. So I raised the lower window, I put two pillows, and I made a a stand for the weapon. I was determined to kill him stone dead that evening. I would have done it, but he did not pass. And I remember the hatred, and to this day, I am sorry I didn't do it. I am sorry he never came along, but I would have done it. I had planned to kill him stone dead. To this day, when I go on stage, when I talk to somebody, I have a shake in my head. And that's where it originated, that day. That day of brutality, of savagery. I can never forget, and I can never forgive him. wonderful. Wonderful. What name have you on that? Gallagher's Frolics. Gallagher's Frolics is right, yes. Gallagher's Frolics. So many of those people just vanished off the face of the earth, and for me, not one of their places has been filled. You get a glimpse for a moment into that life, into that art, into that greatness. And it is only a moment. Whether it is two seconds or whether it is two years, it is only a moment in the infinity of time. And then they're gone, and one is left alone, if you like. And this aloneness is something that has been with me All my life, this being an outsider, being a spectator, if you like, at life's gifts and not always being able to partake, not always being able to sit at the table, to pour the glass of wine and heal the emptiness and cure the loneliness. But that's it. What do you think you've missed? What I have missed is failing so often to live the moment having been in the company of great people, and not knowing at the time that one day they would be gone. The ones I didn't want, how I wished I had them now. And that's what poor Peter Mulligan used to say, another wonderful musician from Mohill. I knew Peter in Dublin in the mid-60s, and... I loved his music. I loved his flow of speech. And the great tunes he had, like the flower of the flock. And uh, again, Peter just vanished. Just uh, went from the face of the earth. But in the the depression I always had in life, uh, most of my time I was a little bit down, Um, feeling sad if you like Um, people might call it depression Um, maybe it's a handy term but to me it meant just being that bit one or two degrees below the norm but then when one heard something wonderful you jumped up and life changed and life became enhanced and your spirit came out And that's where Potts, Cooley, Ennis and those people. I was thirsty and they gave me to drink. I was hungry and they gave me to eat. I was depressed and they rocketed me up. And that is why I feel music is the greatest drug of all. It can change your perception. It changes the chemistry of the mind. The whole world, the whole world looks brighter. And for that, I will be always grateful, always in awe, and always thanking Mother Nature for having put those great men in my path. As Peter Mulligan used to say, in my old walks of life. In my old walks of life. That's the way Peter put it in my old walks of life. you?